special welcome to uh, our guests this morning. I see a number of you. We're, we're thrilled to have you with us. Hope to get a chance to chat with you after the service. Um, and uh, if you are just joining us, we've been, for the last year or so, going through the, the book of Hebrews, which is written by a guy we call Mystery Man, because the author is anonymous. All kinds of theories on who it may be. Some people think Paul, some, some people think Apollos, um, could be someone else that, that we know not their name, but we have spent the last couple months going through Hebrews chapter 11, which is really kind of this, this hall of faith, and Mystery Man is taking us back through examples from the Old Testament of men, and we're going to see women. Here in two weeks, we're going to look at Rahab, the prostitute, who is a heroine of faith. We've already looked at Sarah, uh, Abraham's wife, a, a heroine of faith. And so this morning, I was thinking about sermon title because we're looking at Moses. And Moses was, if you, if you asked any, any Jew uh, in the time of Christ, they would have said Moses was the greatest man to ever live, right? He was the hero. And so Mystery Man here is showing us how Moses was a great hero of faith. And when I thought about sermon title, and I thought about Moses' examples of faith in his life, I thought of stepping out. You know, you think about it, Moses had to take a huge metaphorical step of faith when he cho chose to stand up for the persecuted instead of just continuing on with his life of privilege as an Egyptian, right? So when he identified with the people of God, that was a huge step of faith. And then later, we see a big literal step, right, at the Red Sea. I mean, that might have been the greatest step ever in the Old Testament of, of faith. So we're going to look at those things this morning because Mystery Man takes us to those very events in the life of Moses. So our sermon title is Step Out in Faith with Moses. And my hope and prayer is that this week, all of us in our daily lives will take steps of faith like, like Moses did, and we'll join him in his great faith. So we've got three points this morning. If you uh, would like, if it helps you, inside your bulletin, you'll find a, a listening guide. It's got the scriptures we're going to be looking at all written out for you, uh, as well as the three main points. Uh, and our first point is step out of Egypt and identify with Christ, and that's the Lion's share of the verses we're going to look at this morning, verses 23 through 27. So let's look back at our text, verse 23. We read that by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now a little, little context here. Uh, might be helpful. In Exodus chapter 1, we, we read that there was a new Pharaoh who came on the scene, right? You, you'll remember, of course, that Joseph was the great ruler of Egypt that saved Egypt and was welcomed with his dad and with his brothers and his kids and, and they're, they're, they're this, this beginning of the, this small Hebrew clan into a privileged position in Egyptian life. But years later, a Pharaoh came along who did not know Joseph and instead he was threatened by this, this growing people of God in Egypt, and he enslaved them. But that the children of Israel still grew in strength, such that he commanded genocide against the male children. And he put out an edict that all male baby boys were to be thrown into the Nile River. That, by the way, back in that day, there were a lot of crocodiles in the Nile River. Well, you remember the story. 
well known of baby Moses, how his mother placed him in a little basket that she made in the reeds of the Nile and stationed his sister to watch, make sure that he was okay to see what would happen, hoping that he would be adopted, and that very strategy worked. She probably knew that the daughter of Pharaoh went and used to bathe there, and so that very thing happened. The daughter of Pharaoh discovered this baby and saw what a beautiful baby this was and had pity on him and recognized that, yes, this was probably a Hebrew baby, and she adopted this baby, little baby Moses, into her household. And of course, Moses' sister was right there, and so she intervened and suggested a nurse, because a baby needs milk, which happened to be Moses' mother. And so Moses was able to spend time learning of his heritage, even though he grew up within the actual um, palace of the Pharaoh and grew up as a prince of Egypt. But wait a minute here. If If you look at the text that we just read, maybe something struck you as strange, because the child was beautiful, it says. Well, this, this, brought me, this brought a couple questions to mind. First of all, aren't all babies beautiful to their parents? Let's just be honest for a moment, all right? Um, when babies are first born, like minutes after birth, I mean, they're covered in amniotic fluid and blood, and they've all been scrunched. Um, to a mom and a dad, it's beautiful, all right? Um, but, you know, I had, a, I had a, a, a pastor years ago before I even thought I'd ever be serving as a pastor in America. I was training pastors overseas, thinking about stuff like, you know, how do you, how do you train men in polygamous societies, right, to be pastors and elder qualified? And, and, you know, how do you keep Christians from getting killed when they get baptized in, you know, Islamic countries? And so I was kinda, that was kind of where my mind was. I met this pastor in Dubai, who said, and he, he had retired, he'd been a pastor for decades, good old southern boy, and he says, Troy, one day, if you're ever a pastor, there's something really important you need to know. And I thought, okay, well, what is it? You know, is he going to solve the problem of evil for me or something? And he says, when you go and you meet a, a family who's had a new baby, and a mama is going to look at you and say, what do you think about my baby? Isn't that the most beautiful baby you've ever seen? He said, you can't lie. And I was thinking, well, that makes the most sense. Uh, uh, You know, just lie. And he says, what you say is, my, 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 what a baby. (laughs) I was like, all right, well, thank you very much for that insight. You know, that's not really the way I talk. You know, I might just say something more like, you know, looks like his dad, you know. Um, (laughs) I'm getting myself in trouble. Uh, the, The babies are beautiful. After a couple months, right, a couple weeks, you know, um, Lunsford's got a beautiful baby, one month old, absolutely beautiful, cute little kid was in uh, ABF with us this morning. But you know, all babies are beautiful, so why does it say because the child was beautiful? And then what I really thought when I read this was, well, what if Moses had been an ugly baby? Then what? They've just pitched him to the crocodiles? Because the child was beautiful. And you know, I think there's something deeper going on here, okay? I don't think Moses' mom and dad were shallow and were like, oh yeah, this one's cute, let's keep it, all right? Um, There's something going on a little deeper here, I think, with the reference to beauty here of baby Moses. The the Greek word here is asteos, Hebrew word is tov, 
And both words can actually have a, a wide range of meaning, anything from, from good to special to beautiful here. And actually, Jewish historians believed that in Moses' case, this, this word beauty here, that's translated beauty in, our, in our, our ESV here, refers to some kind of mark that God actually gave baby Moses that indicated to his parents that Moses was special, was like anointed, and would actually be a deliverer of his people. Okay? So you go back, even Josephus talks about a, a and again, this is extra biblical, but a vision that his parents had before he was born, and that this, 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 this was some kind of a mark that would have signified it to his parents such that it would have been an act of faith for them to risk their lives in preserving and protecting and hiding their son. John Calvin wrote, it seems contrary to the nature of faith that he says that they were induced to do this by the beauty of his form. The parents of Moses were not induced by his beauty to be touched with pity and save him, but there was some sort of mark of excellence to come, engraved on the boy which gave promise of something out of the ordinary for him. So the ESV, or the NIV, translates that word beauty, no ordinary child. When they saw this was no ordinary child. Stephen, before he was martyred in that famous sermon, referenced this, but notice his words. He, he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 20, at this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. So interesting note there. But Moses grows up in Pharaoh's household as a prince of Egypt. And in fact, the, the Greek construct here could be translated instead of when he was grown up, when he had become great. Right? We, we, know, from, we know from Stephen that Moses actually lived the first 40 years of his life as a prince of Egypt, as a, as a powerful man in Egypt. And it's very possible that he was a famous, heroic Egyptian military leader, loved in the land. And for sure, being that he grew up in Pharaoh's household and was his adopted grandson, he would have been guaranteed a life of great power and prestige and wealth. But at the age of 40, Moses made a significant decision that would change his life and his destiny. To identify with his people, the Hebrews, instead of with the Egyptians. And you remember the story. He goes out and, you know, the, the Egyptians, of course, were famous for their huge building projects. And we actually learn in the, in the Old Testament text that the, the enslaved Hebrews built some of these places and some of these cities, right? And so Moses sees one of his Hebrew kinsmen being beat by an Egyptian. Moses looks around and he decides, this is it. I'm not going to allow nothing to be done about this. And he intervened. He struck the man and he killed the man, and that's what led to his flight into the desert. You know, that decision that he made to identify with his people, the Hebrews, reminded me of a scene from a film that maybe some of you have seen called Life is Beautiful. It's actually an Italian film. Roberto Benigni is the director and the chief actor. And the first half of the film, you may think, wow, this, is, this guy's just a plain goofball, okay? Because it's kind of almost slapstick comedy. And then you realize, you start seeing undertones of seriousness. And it was a, a family about a, about a Jewish Italian 
young man who, who, who woos a woman who's out of his league, okay, and, he, and just by his, his, his humor, basically, he gets her to, to, to fall for him, to marry him, to have a child, uh, and so he's a Jew, his, his son is a Jew, she is not, and so when the Germans take over, and this was during the days of, of, of the spread of Nazism, uh, they start shipping the Jews off to concentration camp. And there's a scene in the film where you kind of see life is getting harder for them and, and, and persecution is picking up. And there's a scene in the film where finally their family is arrested and they're taken off to the train station. And they're being herded onto these boxcars to go off to concentration camp. And so she wasn't home when, when he was taken and his son was taken. So she runs down to the station and she sees them in the crowd and she says to the Nazis, that's my family. They said, well, you're, you don't need to have any part of this. You're not a Jew. And she chooses to be identified with her, her husband and her son because she wanted to be with them. She goes to a concentration camp. I won't spoil the ending of the movie for you. But she chose, like Moses, to identify with the persecuted people of God. And out of all the great acts of faith of Moses that we read about in the book of Exodus, it is this choice to identify with the people of God that Mystery Man highlights. So let's look at verse 24 through 27 again together. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, out of all of that, there's a lot we could unpack. I found verse 26 to be pretty interesting. Because it says, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. And I read that and I thought, did, did Moses know about Jesus? I mean, he did later prophesy in Deuteronomy chapter 18 about a prophet who would come after him who would be greater than him. He, he, he wrote, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So it does seem that later in his life, God had revealed to him some knowledge of a coming Savior, Messiah, a great, a great prophet. But at the age of 40, before he had ever met Yahweh at the burning bush, before he had ever spent hours face-to-face -face with God in the tent of meeting, remember that pillar of cloud would actually descend on the tent of meeting, Joshua would stand outside and guard and Moses alone would go inside and meet face to face with God. And you, you wonder, what all did he learn? Well, we know. I mean, he got the law. He got so much, right? And then later, God revealed the, the, the law at Sinai to Moses, right? I mean, God, Moses had so much special revelation. But, but back at the age of 40, growing up in Pharaoh's home, having heard some about his heritage from his mom, I'm sure, enough to know that that he was a, 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 a kinsman with the Jews, with his oppressed people of God, did he understand that there was a coming Messiah at that point? Did he have enough revelation? And I think likely not. 
But Moses stepped out of his life of power and position and wealth, and he identified himself with God's people and with God's promises. And in this way, Moses suffered after the same pattern that Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer. So Pastor Kent Hughes kind of explains how and why Mystery Man here would would say that, that Moses was considering the reproach of Christ greater wealth in the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Pastor Hughes writes, when Moses identified with Israel, he was aligning himself with the people whom Jesus Christ had been identified from their inception. He had always been one with his people. Isaiah 63, 9 says, in all their afflictions he was afflicted. Thus, Moses' identification with the disgrace of the Messianic people was an identification with Christ. He endured disgrace for the sake of Christ. Now think about that. Moses had such less knowledge of Christ than we do. We, we, we have this. We have the full revelation of the New Testament of Jesus Christ. We ought to be passionate to identify with him. I think Mystery Man here wanted his Jewish readers to be assured that a true Jew like Moses is a Christian hero. So they shouldn't give in to the the fear of persecution for being Christians, but they should endure in their faith like Moses did, keeping their eyes on their revealed Savior and King and hero, Jesus. One scholar, one New Testament scholar explained, when Moses suffered He suffered with Christ, the same Christ whom the writer is encouraging his readers to identify with. It no doubt carried great weight with them to realize that they were being called to participate in the same kind of experiences and attitudes that the great Moses had, because Moses looked forward to the reward. So here's the bottom line this morning. If you choose to follow Jesus... And to step out in faith and follow Jesus like Moses did. It will include some suffering in your life. That is temporal. But it will result in future and eternal glory. It will result in eternal glory. And so we're going to study in a a few weeks or maybe even a couple months, Hebrews 13, verse 13. It says, therefore... Let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. That is the reproach of Christ. When when people make fun of you or leave you out of something because you have identified as a Christian, you are suffering with Christ. Just like Moses suffered through faith with Christ. So let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured for here we have no lasting city. But we seek the city that is to come. You see, there's an empire of the past. Maybe you've been there, had the chance to visit ancient Cairo, see some of these ruins. And you know what? They're piles of stone. There's an empire of the past. You know what? One day our own civilization is going to be like that as well. It's going to be an empire of the past. And there's a kingdom of the future. There's a city of man And there is a city of God. And while it would have seemed foolish in the eyes of Moses' Egyptian friends and his family and his culture, 
When Moses made that decision to identify with the people of God, he was thinking and looking long-term. He was looking to the eternal kingdom of God. Moses was looking for a city that will last for eternity, whose builder and maker is God. Remember that Jesus said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Paul wrote to his young disciple Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 12 and said, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He didn't say, maybe, he said, will. Peter wrote to the church in Rome that was, was starting to feel the beginnings of what was to become a horrific persecution at the hand of Nero. And he writes to them, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then he writes, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As if something strange were happening to you, right? Maybe, maybe sometimes we, when things don't go wrong, when people treat us badly, when, when we don't get that promotion because we've stood for, we've identified ourselves as a Christian maybe, or we haven't been willing to bend and, and, and compromise biblical morality. Sometimes we think, oh man, what went wrong? Peter's like, no, something went right. Something went right here, right? You, you've identified with the sufferings of Jesus. You're doing what you're supposed to do here right? It's not all about the city of God. I mean, I'm sorry, the city of man or or the American dream. It's about the city of God, which is a spiritual kingdom that will one day become a physical kingdom that's going to blow away anything that you can even imagine about heaven. It's going to blow it away. No one will be disappointed. I can guarantee you that. And it's eternal. And that's what we're to look towards, just like Moses, right? And so, so Peter says, but rejoice when you're picked on, insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. You get that? We actually have the privilege of sharing Christ's sufferings, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And that hadn't happened yet. We are looking forward to the day that Jesus comes back, and it could happen in your lifetime. So are you ready for that? I mean, where is your identity today? Is it with Egypt? Is it with the city of man? Is it with the culture of this world? Or is it with Jesus Christ? Right? Is, 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 are, you, are you not of this world, ultimately? Where is your identity? At, at work? At school? On your street? Do people know that you are a Christian? Yeah, I was thinking about this, being that we've we got a lot of a lot of folks here in our church who, who serve in the military, which is a, a noble calling, all right? Uh, but can it be hard sometimes in the military to identify as a Christian? I was talking to my dad about that this week. We were reading through this, this text in our family devotions, and he was having dinner with us. He was telling us that during his day back in the, the 70s and 80s as a, as a fighter pilot, um, the bar was a big thing right? And, and when the guys would all go to the bar together, it wasn't just to have a drink or two. It was to get plastered, 
I mean, they had a good time. They had a big time. And they, they would just get plastered. And so he had to make it a decision. And that led to all kinds of stuff, right? So he made a decision, you know what? I'm going to be the best pilot I can be. And I'm going I'm to um, be as winsome as I can be with people. But I'm not going to go to the bar. Okay? I'm going to let them know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to pass on that. And do you think that maybe, uh, maybe he wasn't promoted quite as quickly? Maybe that affected his career? Yeah. It might have. Now, the Lord blessed him. He actually went from being a pilot in his late 20s to feeling called into medicine. Get that. And the Lord got him into medical school just because, I mean, what, what got him in, frankly, was the, his, his, his squadron commander had saved the life of a guy who was doing interviews back in the K- Korean conflict, all right? And that's really how the Lord engineered his getting admission <laughs> to medical school. So God's sovereign over your career, in other words, right? You can trust him if you're in the military. Well, maybe you're a high school or a college student, and it's possible that when you choose Christ over Egypt, you might not get invited to as many parties. You know that? That might happen. And that's not fun to be excluded. But you know what? When fellow students are struggling in their lives, struggling with pressure, thinking about things like suicide, where do you think they're going to go? Who do you think they're going to come to for help? They're going to come to you. And so you can make a difference for eternity in their lives when you choose Christ over Egypt. Well, well maybe some of us in this room here are, are trying to straddle. We're trying to do both, right? We're trying to live in two worlds. There's, there's Christ, maybe you got your foot planted in this kingdom, and you got your foot planted in this kingdom. You know, maybe you dress and, and even speak a different way uh, when you're with these people than you do with these people. And, and here's the problem, right? Uh, Christ never changes, right? But if you're trying to keep your foot in Egypt as well, that's always changing, right? Playing Twister, you can only do that for so long, and it gets really painful, right? It gets really painful. I'm not going to give you the object lesson right now. But uh, you can just imagine, that could really hurt when the two get wider and wider. Well, no one can serve two masters, right? So Joshua said, choose this day whom you're going to serve. God told the church, Christ wrote the lukewarm church in Laodicea. They weren't hot or cold. They try, they're trying to do both. He said, I wish you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going I'm to vomit you out of my mouth. So Moses chose to identify with the people of God and with Christ. And his decision did not make his life easier. He spent the next 40 years living as a nomad in the wilderness of Midian until he saw him who is invisible when he met God at the burning bush at Horeb. There God gave him a mission, a a purpose, which I'm I'm sure for 40 years Moses was wondering, what is my purpose? I mean, I I left prestige and now I'm just kind of like a, a shepherd in the wilderness. What is my purpose in life? Well, God gave it to him. And gave him a mission to rescue his chosen people. And this was a mission that would change world history. And that leads to our second point, And we'll be briefer here. And that is step out in obedience. We see this illustrated at the institution of the Passover. And you're likely familiar with what happened. Moses goes back to, to Egypt. 
Uh, God gave him his, his, his brother Aaron to be his spokesman, and they, they march into Pharaoh's court, and they say, let my people go. And, and both Pharaoh and God hardened Pharaoh's heart, such that it was necessary for 10 plagues, and you're probably familiar with those, kids, blood, frogs, gnats, flies, death of cattle, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, and finally, the death of the firstborn. Now Moses had been telling Pharaoh, let my people go quite a few times now. But the final plague, death of the firstborn, was going to break him. What, what struck me, though, when I read the story of the very first Passover this week in Exodus chapter 12, is that this whole festival that was instituted during this state of what you might call a national emergency, okay, um, uh, you know, getting ready to, to exit, to leave Egypt uh, without being murdered, right, without genocide happening. I mean, that was a stressful time for the Israelites, right, for the children of Israel. Incredibly stressful time. And so what struck me was that this might not have made a whole lot of sense to Moses or to his people at that time to do this whole Passover thing that God commanded. Raymond Brown wrote, the instructions for the Passover were strange. We're so used to it now. We think, well, this is a big part of history. But at the time, this was a very strange thing. Never been done before, right? The instructions were strange. The demands were costly. A lamb without blemish. And the ritual unprecedented. But they did precisely as they were told. In simple faith, they kept the Passover. They relied on the God who had spoken to them through his servant. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. They did. So they did. Exodus 12, 1 through 3 and verse 28. So we read in verse 28 in our text, they did this by faith. Actually, it says, by faith he kept the Passover. Maybe a better way of translating that would actually be he instituted the Passover. By faith. And sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Now Moses and his people obeyed God's commands, which were very specific for the Passover, to a T. And and notice here, I'm going to read to you just two verses from Exodus 12, that as Moses is actually giving the instructions to God's people on how to do the Passover, notice that he was confident that God would come through for them and would deliver them from the Egyptians. So, So listen to these words. He says, you shall observe this rite, this is Exodus 12, 24 through 25, you shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. So if I'm listening to Moses, I, I just want to survive the night, right? I just, I mean, we're about to walk out of here and we don't know what's ahead. And Moses is saying, this is important. We're going to do this thing every year, okay, because the Lord is going to deliver us. And so Moses stepped out in obedience to God before he saw God's saving hand, before he saw the results of this Passover. He did this as an example of faith. Now remember Hebrews 11.1. What are all these people giving us an example of? The definition of faith, the description of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
And there's no greater example, I don't think, in the Old Testament of stepping out in faith than Moses is stepping into the Red Sea. And that's our last point this morning. And that is, step out into danger, into the midst of the Red Sea. Verse 29. Now the path to the promised land is not always filled with daisies. Sometimes it's through the danger of the Red Sea. We're talking about a tunnel through walls of water that could come crashing down on you at any moment. All right? Uh, yeah, you got the Egyptians behind you, want to enslave you again, right? But you, you got to walk through this tunnel of water that, that shouldn't be there. And, and, and you got, you, on, on both sides, walls of water that, that one second come crashing down on you and there's no way you're surviving. All right, what could go wrong? All kinds of things could go wrong. But, but you know what? God is the one holding back the water. And so we read that by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now one thing I think we, we see, especially when we go back and we read the story in Exodus, that when we, is that when we step out in faith, there's an opportunity for spiritual leadership. You know what? Guess what? The children of Israel were not initially thrilled about the prospect of stepping out into danger. Okay, in fact, it's almost a stretch when you read here, by faith the people crossed the Red Sea because they complained and grumbled and whined. But you know what? Eventually they changed. Their hearts changed to that of faith because they did take that step into danger. And they crossed the Red Sea. But look with me for a moment back into Exodus chapter 14. Here's what happened, right? Moses and the children of Israel are camping next to the Red Sea when the Egyptians changed their minds. Several days had gone by, and Pharaoh and his men changed their minds, and they come out with all their military power. And they're planning on killing and, 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 and enslaving, bringing back those that don't feel like killing to be slaves once again. And you can be sure that the plight would have been worse of the Jews. And so they see this army coming. And, and they forget about all that God had done. And they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in, in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. People are, are fickle, right? Uh, leading is not easy. But true faith influences others to action. And so here's how Moses responded. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I mean, Moses could have been lynched by the people, but he stood firm in danger by faith and inspired others to action, and the people followed him. They did step out in faith with Moses. And so here's the application for you. When we step out in faith with our lives, 
it will influence others. I remember being a senior in high school. I remember being a junior in high school. Okay, some of you are juniors in high school this morning. And my junior year of high school, I wasn't walking by faith. I, I was, you know what I was doing? I was trying to straddle two worlds. And then the Lord changed my heart my senior year. And I stepped out in faith. And, and I remember not being invited to certain places and things that had been invited before. But you know what? People followed. It made a difference in people's lives. And God can use you, whether you're a senior in high school, senior in college, whether you're in the military, whether you're an elementary school student, right? Whether you're a neighbor. When you step out in faith and you identify yourself with Christ, it's going to make a difference. People are going to follow. Some people are going to reject you. Some people are going to feel threatened by you. They're not going to like it, right? But some people are going to follow. That can make a difference for eternity. As we land the plane this morning, let's think for a moment about Moses' identity, right? The, the very last ver- verses of Deuteronomy say this. Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses 10 through 12 There has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs of the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. To the the Jews, he was the greatest hero of the Old Testament. He was the greatest of the prophets. And when we look at world history, Moses is a famous character of world history. You will find statues in marble of Moses in the famous places all around the world. From the Sistine Chapel to the inside of the wall of the United States Capitol. Statues of Moses. Everyone knows his name. But think about this. If he hadn't stepped out of his comfort zone in Egypt right, into danger, identifying with the people of God, turning his back on wealth and power and prestige that was temporal, had he not done that, none of us would have known his name. In fact, none of us really knows the name of the Pharaoh, unless you're like an Egyptologist, okay? None of us knows the name of the Pharaoh of his day, right? Maybe, maybe we could dig and maybe somewhere find a Uh, an inscription somewhere with Moses' name on it at the Egyptian museum. Maybe. I don't even think that would happen. All right? But we know Moses' name because he stepped out in faith. He rejected Egypt. He chose the kingdom of Christ. And when you step out in faith with Moses, it's going to likely mean that life is going to get more complicated, a little bit more difficult. But you are now able to make a difference for eternity. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we think of your servant Moses, as we think about his faith in identifying with Christ, 
his willingness to walk into danger, and his faith of obedience. Lord, we're reminded of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who on the night in which he was betrayed, celebrated the very Passover supper that Moses instituted at your command, eating this supper with his disciples, pointing to the elements of bread and wine, and saying that that this would be and represent his very body and his very blood, which he was about to sacrifice for us. And Lord, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't yet know Christ as Lord and as Savior and as hero, I pray that today would be the day that, that they would look to him in faith, that he died for their sins and rose from the dead and would be saved and would enter into your kingdom. Lord, if there's any of us in this room who have had our foot in both kingdoms, trying to live for this world, trying to keep a foot in the, in the, in the kingdom of Egypt while still wanting to to have the benefits of the kingdom of God. I pray that today you would bring resolve and repentance, and today would be the day that, like Moses, they would step out in faith and be all in as part of your kingdom. Lord, as we prepare our hearts now quietly uh, for communion, Lord, I, I pray that this would be a time of examination. Lord, and if there are sins in our lives that we have not confessed to you, that you would bring them to mind, that we could take communion with a clean heart. I pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. You know, the Passover pointed to Jesus. An unblemished lamb was slain to cover the family of faith from the angel of death in Egypt, the very beginning of the Passover celebration. Well, today we're saved by trusting that the blood of the Lamb of God has has indeed covered our sins. But we read that we shouldn't take communion in an unworthy manner. So this is, is something that is reserved in the Bible for Christians so if you haven't given your heart to Jesus, uh, just, just sit tight. I would encourage you to meditate and, and even ask him to reveal himself to you uh, and, 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 and give, give your heart to him. If you are a Christian, we're, not, we're, we're called to not take this in an unworthy manner. So now's a chance just to quietly meditate and pray. And if the Lord brings something to your mind that you haven't confessed, now's a good time to confess. And the beauty of the gospel is that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us for all, for, of all unrighteousness. So it's not like you've got to go do your penance. Christ has done that for you, right? In a moment like that, you can be made right with him through faith. So just confess it to him. We're, we're going to listen to some music while we, while, we, um, while we examine ourselves and while we meditate on him. And uh, then if, and we'll sing a song reflecting. And, uh, and then uh, at the appropriate time, um, I will lead us through a time of communion. If you need the elements... Um, we have some uh, of those out in the foyer over to, on side tables. If you slipped in without grabbing one of these, feel free to run out there and, and, and grab one of those. So let's take some time to reflect, pray, and prepare our hearts.